So lately, Matt, Ashley's been getting mad at me for stealing all of her kitchen utensils. But I mean, that's a whisk I'm willing to take. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. That may be the worst one yet. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> I've had that one in my back pocket for a while, and I'm like, you know. You should have kept it there. I should have, but I, I didn't. So, uh, real quick, we wanted to tell all of you guys to go check out our sponsor tonight. Uh, our sponsor is HERS, um, so please go check them out. Um, also, while you're on the interwebses, uh, go over and check out our website, graveyardpodcast.com. Find a bunch of cool stuff on there, and we update it often. Um, also, find us on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and holler at us on there. Join our Facebook group if you're not in there already. Uh, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, and we post all the time, and I tweet more than I probably should. Yeah, and be on the lookout for the new graveyard tales all nude calendar right it's not us right it's not us no <laughs> we just it's <laughs> we're we're getting dogs and we're going yeah, to just it's actually yeah it's all animals yeah and they're always nude so i mean it's not like we're doing anything scandalous that's so. right but we're not lying either right so. <laughs> and no it's not lions it's dogs <laughs> all Wait right a minute well, i thought we had a lion what, now, happened, what happened to the lion? Now, uh, we had to send him back. <laughs> he ate all the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Matt. So what are we getting into tonight, brother? Okay, so um, when it comes to mysterious sea creatures, and we've, we've talked about a few on this show, mm-hmm. none of them have been immortalized in stories and novels and plays and musicals and movies and art, whatever. More than mermaids, right? And and merfolk. Mm-hmm. So you know, and and they're really they're they're captivating creatures. I mean, you know, I can't think of maybe unicorn. You know, another mythical creature that has that kind of allure. And I don't know why unicorns do here lately. That's just they're everywhere. I know. Again, they they go through cycles. So I mean, and mermaids do too. I mean, sure. I can remember. My, I got all I got all these girls. You know. You know, I've had all the mermaid stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, now it's all the unicorn stuff. Right. But, you know, but if if the stories are to be believed, you know, merfolk can be can be magical beings, you know, granting wishes or, or good fortune to, to sailors out on the seven seas. Or, or they can be evil, wicked creatures, mm-hmm. you know, luring humans to the water so that they can drag them underneath, right? you know, to their doom. But whichever one you believe, do you believe that they were real at all? Ever? At any point in time? Yeah. Right. At any point in history. <laughs> because, you know, history is 
full of stories of mermaids going back centuries. I mean, you know, a lot of the creatures we've talked about, you know, have have a deep history, but mermaids just go way, way back. Right, way back, and it's it's a worldwide phenomenon, yeah. really. Yeah, I mean, there's there much like things like vampires and 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 those iconic, you know, creatures. Mermaids, they transcend, you know, cultural and geographic lines. I mean, you know, there, there are stories of mermaids all around the globe. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we're going to be digging into some stories about mermaids, some of the history and legends with mermaids. And we're actually going to talk about some fairly modern day sightings of mermaids, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You, you missed your opportunity to say we're diving deep into, (laughs) I just knew you were going to do that. I left that one on the table. (laughs) Like <laughs> where I should have left that joke earlier. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, mermaids and, and the history of and all that. So some of the other names they go by are obviously merfolk, not just mermaids, but uh, marrow in Irish, merry maids in Cornwall, which I think is funny that that you've got the UK, but then everybody in the UK goes, yeah, but that's Cornwall. You know, like of it's course. its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't, oh, yeah, it's just there. They they don't accept Cornwall as part of the rest <laughs> of England. You know, it's just like yeah, Cornwall. Um, and then also Morgans. Um, the the etymology of the term mermaid is not that interesting. It's mer. No, no it's not meaning sea <laughs> and maid meaning made made. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the sea maid. Right. So it's which, the sea maid. Which, oddly enough, we're going to get into this, but oddly enough, the term sea maid is is very fitting for, you know, what the belief is that, that the purpose of, what the heck am I trying to say? The, <laughs> the, the purpose that mermaids serve, the name sea maid is very fitting. Right. So- <laughs> um, now, they, they apparently... They're said to live in underwater cities, depending on, you know, what area you're from. They may live in a full underwater city, or they may just be out by themselves, you know, kind of doing their own thing. Um, But our current view of mermaids has been skewed because of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Little Mermaid. And then subsequently, the Disney animated uh, movie of that same name. Mm-hmm. But let, let's talk a little bit about some of the earliest mermaids. So some of the earliest mermaids, according to some, were goddesses who represented fertility, beauty, sex. But they also had a very destructive force of nature. And, you know, they, they can control the destructive forces of nature at sea. Um, some, some of the more famous examples of these old goddesses and everything were the Assyrian goddess Astarte, Greek Aphrodite, and the African Mamiwata, which we'll talk a little bit about those here shortly. Um, but let, let's kind of look at the legends from each area. 
because we said they kind of change, you know, depending on your geographical region, there's slight differences. So, so let's talk a little bit about those. Now, in the Middle East, the Babylonians and the Assyrians were the first who showcased some of their gods as water creatures. You know, most notably, like we said earlier, the goddess Astarte. So, you know, in the Middle East, there's been a modern day sighting within the last 10 years. So in, in 2009, in the town of Kiryat Yom in Israel, uh, one person reported seeing what he believed was a mermaid swimming in the, the, the waves right near the shore. Mm-hmm. Now, he quickly alerted other people around him. So soon one eyewitness became dozens. Oh, wow. And, and then became so popular that people were just flocking to the beach to try to get a view of this creature. Sure. Now, I guess you could say mermaid fever, you know, hit this town in Israel because they it, got it, mermaid fever. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, they, yeah, they they were so excited that the the actual town council. I don't know what what else you would call it in Israel, but you know, for for our purposes, it's a town council. Um, they offered a prize of one million dollars to anyone who could photograph the mermaid, because apparently in two thousand nine nobody had cameras, so there's right. like no no photographs right. really. Dozens of people um, saw it, but nobody got a photograph. I know, you know, so um, that was, you know, that was pretty amazing that it's just 10 years ago. Now, people went and they asked, was this really just a publicity stunt? You know, were you really just trying to pull some tourists, you know, in here and and make a little cash off of them, you know? Sell them some mermaid stickers sure. and a, you know, little mermaid hat that says "I saw the mermaid." And that that's a legit question. Yeah, um, but the, the councils, you know, the, even to this day, claim no that it was not a stunt. That you know, they they legitimately thought if there was something out there, mermaid or not, that was unidentified, they wanted somebody to take a photograph of it so they could identify it. Sure. So but, mythical but nobody beast or ever, not. Nobody ever did. Right. You know, nobody ever claimed that prize. So. And that's a shame because, you know, like you said, mythical beast or not, it would be, you know, cool to have a picture of something so you could then say, well, no, it's actually this or whatever. Well, and you and I have talked about this before. How, how cool would it be, even if it's not a mermaid or whatever mythical creature we're discussing? How cool would it be to be the one that discovers a a previously unknown species of anything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we we find new species of something all the time. You know, a new species of fish, this was a variation of this, you know, insects, whatever, or we thought this particular species was extinct for a hundred years, and right. here they are. The coelacanth is one of the prime coelacanth, examples. Yeah, um, those the, the the crested geckos, or mm-hmm. you know that you know lived on this island. They thought they were gone, and they had just they were living inside 
you know, trees. Right. You know, actually inside the tree. And, you know, something happens and you find them. So, how, I mean, that would be so cool to to just find out, oh, well, it wasn't, you know, a mermaid or a unicorn or a dragon or something. Right. But it was something brand new. Yeah, so, it I was mean, a- I, I guess I can take that. That's some legitimacy there. You right. know, they, they wanted to know, was there something different out there? Yeah. And I'm down with that, you know. Yeah. Now, in Europe, the, the European view of mermaids was greatly influenced by Greek culture and their myth of the siren, so which is a malevolent and carnivorous creature that lured sailors to their death. And, and we'll discuss sirens in a little more detail in a little bit. Yeah, so in that same area of the, of the world, Scotland seems to have a multitude of stories and sightings about mermaids. Um, and this is probably one of the most famous mermaid stories out of, you know, all the ones we'll talk about tonight. This one is of the, the Dearness Mermaid. Now, as I said, Scotland's got its fair share, but beginning in 1890, Newark Bay became the location of multiple mermaid sightings. Now, many people thought talking about mermaids was just hearsay and rumor, but so many people started sharing their tales of what they called the Dearness Mermaid that people started to pay attention. Now, this mermaid wasn't, you know, Ariel or or Daryl Hannah. Right, right. (laughs) Okay. Um, This one, people described as, a seven-foot-long humanoid with pale white skin and black hair. Now, locals described her crawling onto the rocks, using her arms, and then sliding back into the waves. I think I knew her in high school. (laughs) (laughs) You may have. Um, But the, the, the few looks that people got were at a distance. So nobody really got close enough to make out a whole lot of detail. So it could have been virtually anything. Right. Um, the the Dearness Mermaid was kind of uh, leery of being around people, and she pretty much stayed away from the shore. However, uh, this mermaid only stayed in the bay for just a few summers and then disappeared. So... All of the uh, all of the sightings abruptly stopped after just a few seasons. So, you know, who knows? Again, no photographs. Oh well, yeah, you of know, course. Well, it's 1890, right? Not everybody had a camera, right? But I mean, do an etching or yeah. something. I mean, come on, <laughs> give me something. Etching. <laughs> you imagine some guy standing out there, you know, yeah. scraping. Wait, hold this thing. still. Hold still. <laughs> it's just like a big blur yeah. with black hair. <laughs> that and a, would be and a great. Fin. That and would be like, great. This is the mermaid. This is exactly what okay. I saw. <laughs> yeah. Um. So another one we'll briefly touch on now that we'll get into a little bit later is Asia. Now, Chinese and Japanese cultures have their own stories about mermaids. And in Japan, they call them the ningyo. Um, and they can, they're the ones that can grant, grant you riches 
and immortality and all that, but you have to be worthy in order to be granted these wishes. Okay, so let's take a minute to talk about another, uh, a returning sponsor of Graveyard Tales and one of, one of our favorites, I think. Uh, let's talk about hers for a minute. Now, we know, even as men, we know that getting birth control for women is a hassle. That the time it takes to go to your doctor's office, having to receive your new pack on time and maybe it not showing up on time, got to make all these phone calls, find out why insurance is no longer paying for it and all that. It, it should be delivered to you when you need it and where you need it. And you know, you're not alone because more than 10 million women in the U.S. take the pill. And hers says it's time to level the healthcare playing field. So why don't we do that? Right. There's no need to take travel time out of your already busy day. For hers provides access to licensed doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe you birth control that can be delivered direct to your door. For hers puts the purchasing power back in your hands, billing all the costs of receiving your birth control into one low price of $30 without the need for insurance. Now, whether you're already taking birth control or you have no idea where to start, For hers will connect you to a doctor online who can help determine the option that will work best for you. Right, and Graveyard Tales listeners can get their first month of birth control from forhers.com for just five dollars right now while supplies last and obviously subject to doctor approval see website for full details go to forhers.com slash graveyard that's f-o-r-h-e-r-s dot com slash graveyard go to forhers.com slash graveyard that's f-o-r H-E-R-S dot com slash graveyard. Restrictions apply. See website for full details. The Chinese legends of mermaids are pretty unique, and there's an early 19th century book entitled Jottings on the South of China. Now, this particular book contains two different stories about mermaids. Now, in the first story, a man captures a mermaid on the shore of Namato Island. She looks human in every aspect except that her body is covered with fine hair of many colors. Now, she can't talk, but he takes her to his home and he marries her. Hmm. Because that's what you do when you pull a multicolored fish woman out of the sea. Hairy, multicolored woman. You take her home. And you marry her. You marry that woman. Yeah. Now, after the man (laughs) died, the mermaid returned to the sea uh, where she was found. Now, in the second story, a man sees a woman lying on the beach while his ship was anchored offshore. Now, upon closer inspection, her feet and hands appeared to be webbed. She is carried to the water and expresses gratitude towards the sailors before swimming away. Now, it's just, that that last one's like one of these, you know, always return your creatures to the sea. Yeah, right. Or something. 
If you find yeah. a fish flopping on the beach, return it to <laughs> the sea. They're throwing her back. From whence you came. Yeah. So yeah. one guy, he takes her home and he's like, yeah, I'm going to make an honest woman out of you. Yep. And then the other guy's like, oh, well, just, just yeah, send you, her home. You need to let her go. Yeah. You have just kidnapped yeah. this poor mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's just a multicolored woman. You yeah. Know? So it, it may have just been, he just went out and kidnapped some, yeah. some chick with multicolored hair. And, Paint, painted her up and said, hey, yep. <laughs> you're a mermaid. Poor lady. I feel bad. But um, a, a more a more legitimate, I say legitimate, <laughs> it seems legitimate, sighting of a mermaid in, in Asia came in 1943. Now, in 1943, World War II was still going on. And so the island of, uh, well, the, the key islands of Indonesia, were occupied by Japanese soldiers, and they had set up a surveillance team. Now, during the time there, several members of this surveillance team reported seeing a small humanoid figure in the water with spines on its neck and a head like and mouth like a carp. Now, the mermaid figure was often seen playing in lagoons and near the beach shores of the Key Islands. Now, I've probably said that twice two different ways and i've probably said it wrong both ways and i understand that so sorry he apologized <laughs> now the japanese soldiers were pretty amazed by what they were seeing and after talking to the natives of the islands they learned that this mystical mermaid-like creature was actually a known creature called the orang akan or human fish good translation yeah, it's a known creature, the right. human fish. Right. I mean, you okay, know, we know it. All right. So as the sightings continued, uh, one of the sergeants with the surveillance team, uh, Mr. Taro Hariba, was invited by the natives of the island to see what they had caught in their fishing nets. Now, upon arrival at the village, he entered the chieftain's home to find one of the creatures splayed out on the floor. Now, Hariba describes a small body with red-brown hair, spines along the neck, a humanoid face with a lipless, fish-like mouth full of needle-sharp teeth. Give that a big old kiss. Right. Now, Mr. Hariba was confused and shocked by what he saw, understandably. Now, he tried to get Japanese zoologists to investigate after the war. But guess what? Nobody believed him. Sure. So no one believed in uh, Hariba's story and they just dismissed it. So nobody ever looked into it. Right. You know, which we've seen that before too. <laughs> you right. You know, ah, well, whatever. We don't know what it is, but quit talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I don't know, you know, t- that's that's one of those odd stories, you know, stories that come from military occupy, occupation of a certain area are pretty unique. You know, they're you know, they they're not native to that area, so they're seeing things that the local people already know and understand. Right. But when it's brand new to you, you know, you, you may be just mystified by it. Right. And one of the things when we get into the deeper research here in just a minute, 
that you'll notice about this story is it connects some dots and there's some detail about this creature that seems weird Mm -hmm. now, but when we get into that research, you go, you know, that sounds the most legitimate of anyone we've heard so far. And probably that you might hear all night. Yeah. Since we're staying in Asia here, um, Matt discussed a Chinese legend. So I've got a Japanese legend. Um, now in, in Western folklore, you know, mermaids are, are regarded as beautiful, seductive beings. Um, and they like to lure men to their deaths. Well, in Japan, the Ningyo doesn't have that standard story. Um, these creatures not only vary in the way they look, but also in the way they are said to interact with humans. Now, unlike the Western legends, the Japanese Ningyo in general are much less attractive. They're often portrayed as creatures with the top half of a monkey and the bottom half of a fish. Um, monkey fish. Yeah. Oh, monkey fish. They have also been made one of the most famous examples of a mermaid. And this is because if you remember the PT Barnum Fiji mermaid, mm-hmm. that was basically this description. And he took, and he did, you know, physically did that monkey body fish tail. Yeah. He sewed them together. Right. So he took the Ningyo legend and created one and then called it a Fiji mermaid mm-hmm. and put it in his P.T. Barnum's museum. Yeah, and inter- interestingly enough, on that P.T. Barnum thing, there there were mermaid sightings in Fiji at the time. So Barnum was pretty smart, right? I mean, you know he he you know he was the one that you know created the what we know of as the freak show. Mm-hmm. You know, so finding these weird things. And putting them on display was his gig, right? To make a buck, right? And you know, no, no internet, you know, no, you know, no, no Encyclopedia Britannica to look up. You can't you really know. fact check it. Sure, you know, but enough people had heard rumors of mermaid sightings in Fiji for him to capitalize on it. Sure, you know, so he moved pretty quick to get and and actually. Another mermaid, exactly the same, was making a tour um, around the country in another freak show. Right. Which actually, you know, it, you know, the Fiji mermaid had been around a while, and it, it actually prompted him to get another one. Mm-hmm. You know, and and do it even even different. Make another one, you mean? <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I kind of yeah yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get one. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Ethel, where's that? Where's that needle and thread? I gotta sew this monkey on this fish. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's also been claimed in Japan that the the ningyo do not have human or even ape like torsos at all. Instead, they have just a human or ape like or even reptilian head that's attached to the body of a fish. Which is even more creepy. That That's really creepy. Um, at times, these heads are depicted very grotesquely, so misshapen 
or horned or with a mouthful of razor sharp fangs. If you uh, if you find a picture of one, it's like a, an illustration of one. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, a fish with like a kabuki actor head stuck on it. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's weird looking. Yeah. It's weird looking. Now there's also a type of ningyo that it is known as the amabi or the amabiko, and it is said to have the beak of a bird and is covered with scales from the neck down. Um, they are often said to be able to cry tears of pearls. In addition, some ningyo, like the amabi, and I know I said that wrong, sorry, are thought to be able to foretell the future. Now, there's one recorded story during the 19th century where an amabi is said to have appeared and prophesied both good, both a good harvest and the plague. Now, additionally, it mentioned that in order to avoid the plague, people should make an image in its likeness. So other ningyo are reported to be less benevolent and are capable of shape-shifting. They have the, um, that ability which they supposedly use to lure men into the sea and to their deaths. So, you know, there's, there's some tie-ins mm-hmm. with some other legends in the Japanese legends, but it's very, very much different in appearance. And I, I, I like how the Japanese legends, they're more animal-like. Mm-hmm. They're not... They're much less human. Yes. Yeah. So it, it seems to be that it could either be a legitimate creature at that point that they're seeing, and then they're putting some traits on it like fortune telling and all that. They may be seeing a, a true creature that might attack and kill people, but they're adding some more traits to it or just their, their thought of something that lives in the sea wouldn't be human like that unless it was legitimately like a goddess or something. Right. And, and taken from the other legends, like the, the sirens, you know, this whole idea that there's this, mythical sea creature that lures people in, especially men, you know, lures people to the ocean and, and then takes them down, you know, drags them to the ocean to their death. Right. You know, that that's an, it's an, a, a very common theme with these type of, of water beings, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're talking about mermaids or sirens or whatever the heck it was you pronounced. The Ningyo. The Ningyo. Yep. Close. Sounds like something I would order at a sushi restaurant. And you probably could in some un, unscrupulous sushi well, restaurants. You know, imagine if you, you ordered that at the sushi bar and, like, all of a sudden you could, like, predict the future or something. Well, you know? I don't like sushi, but I'm going to go try it now. Then, then... Then you could start writing fortune cookies. And then- <laughs> yeah. Well, then, then we would have just a lot better podcast because I would, I would automatically know what people don't want to hear. Tell, tell us, Adam, what's going to happen next week. Yeah, right. So Here, here's how your day is going to suck tomorrow. Right. So, getting back to some of the other areas in the. Caribbean or the Caribbean, however you want to say it. Um, Haitian tradition of voodoo mentions 
water spirits called La Serene, uh, a beautiful mermaid that bears close resemblance. 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 What in the hell is resemblance? It's something that looks like an ambulance. I guess so. And <laughs> <laughs> so it it bears close resemblance to the African goddess Mamiwata. And move on to that. In Africa, Mamiwata had a big influence on the people of Africa. Um, you know, through many of the cultures there in Africa and around the world. Um, in South America, the most famous siren is Lara, L-A-R-A. Now, it's an Amazonian water spirit that is blamed for many deaths and misfortunes in that continent. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Africa. Um, there is a South African legend of the Kaya Man. It's it's K A A I M A N. You're probably Kaya, getting close. Kaya man. Yeah, I don't I'm know how to close. I'm 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 probably better than you would do. So <laughs> <laughs> so smart. So, Alec. so dig this. This I mean this is this is more this is much more modern. 2008. Now in South Africa there was a legendary mermaid called the Kaya Man, and and it was making headlines in the news. A group of friends were camping near a river when they heard a loud splashing and loud banging noises. Now, upon in further upon further investigation, the group came upon a woman in the water. Now, the woman appeared to be pale white with long black hair. Her skin had an opalescence that made her seem as if she was almost glowing. Now, her most shocking feature was seen when the woman turned to the group. She had these piercing red eyes. So a woman ran to investigate the claims that the Kayaman had been seen. Now, she remarks that the mermaid made a sorrowful cry. Sorrow, sorrowful cry. Resemblance. Resemblance. <laughs> <laughs> a sorrowful cry, uh, much like a woman crying. Now, after all the chaos, the mermaid disappeared into the water. Now, the people of South Africa are pretty leery of the Kayaman, as she's known for pulling people under and trapping them beneath the depths of, uh, with objects which you most desire. So, so, I don't, so I'm going to start, you know, if I go to South Africa, I'm going to really desire very lightweight things like a life raft, uh, yeah, you know, uh, a life jacket. <laughs> Paddles, uh, uh, flippers. Scuba uh, gear is what I most desire. Exactly. <laughs> a tank full of air, please. That's my biggest desire. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this was a, a, a South, a South African legend that was put on to a very strange event that could have possibly been just somebody out there drowning. You know, need, needing some help, and they were like, "It's the Kaiman." Yeah. You know, well, you know, it could also be like we've seen in, you know, parts of the U.S. too, where something happens and they don't like they don't go save the person. Well, then they blame it on, you know, a creature right. because, and that's why they didn't. They were scared and they didn't want to whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, or it could be legit. Right. You know, they could have actually been being attacked and, 
you know, at that point, if you're getting attacked by a mermaid, that's killing you, I'm not helping you dude. <laughs> that's right. I'm out. You, you know, know. You, sorry. Have you, fun with that. You somehow brought that on yourself and I'm, I'm not helping you. Yeah. It don't look like a splash, you know, no. going on out there. So, um, I've got some things I, I just put under the, um, the heading of fun facts about, about mermaids. And now it's time for graveyard tales, fun facts <laughs> with Matt. That's perfect. <laughs> Soundbite. So, so talking about, you know, the Kayaman and, and these other mermaid creatures that were not so nice, you know, always looking to, to lure somebody. They always lure somebody. Sure. You know, what it, I, I, I want them to do something more than just lure me, you know, like offer me something. Well, maybe, you know? maybe you have to go of your own accord. You well, know, maybe. they can't just attack you. They've got a, maybe you may have a point. We don't know. I've yeah. never, I've never talked to a mermaid. Uh, so we're, I don't know. We're just talking out our butts. Right Adam's now. looking at me like he has, and he knows. Um, don't look in my closet. So the, the Rusalki, they are a Russian legend and they are the, the vengeful souls of women that live on as mermaids to punish men and children by drowning them. No, I know what the kids do. Yeah. Well, and that's more of a punishment. That's just death, <laughs> you know, punishment. I'm gonna don't punish you think you, I'm going to drown you and I'm going to drown all the children and punishment. You'd learn something, but continue to live. Maybe now I know I'm going to mis- mispronounce this. Um, the Scottish folklore uh, mentions the blue men of Minch. Um, they lure sailors to their death, dragging them into the water and then feast on their flesh. So now, now we've got man-eating mermaids. Mm-hmm. Could have been a shark. Could have been, or <laughs> or the blue man group. But, <laughs> but they, but you know, again, it's a, they lure they lure men. You know, mm-hmm. sailors, men. I mean, I, I'm not being sexist, but, you know, we're talking about folklore. Sailors were all men. It was bad luck to have a woman on a yep. boat, you know, at, in the 1700s. At so. that time frame, yeah. Yeah. I because, mean, you know. it, like you said, ev- everybody out there on the sea would have been men. So That's right. Now, there's a there's an interesting con- condition that that will fall under these fun facts because I didn't have another category to put them in. There is a condition called sirenomelia or mermaid syndrome. Now, this is a rare congenital disorder in which a child is born with his or her legs fused together and very small genitals. So their legs together look like a mermaid tail. I've seen pictures of that once or twice. Yeah. It, it, it is really... Really it, odd is, it is really strange. And and this condition is is really rare. Mm-hmm. It's it's as rare as conjoined twins. It only affects one out of every one hundred thousand live births. Um and it's usually fatal within a day or two. It it's just it's not conducive with life. Right. Um because the that joining of their from their waist down causes bladder and kidney problems, which, you know, usually, you know, you know, a, a, a child born with this is, it's not viable. Right. Um, but there are, as of July, 2003, there were recorded four survivors. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it, it is very rare. And I, I, I think it's so rare that it wouldn't be mistaken. You know, there weren't that many for people to be going, look at this mermaid child. Or, right. You know, right. There, or there, or there wasn't somebody that was able to run around and, you know, pinpoint one of these, can, you know, children born with this condition and try to somehow, you know, steal their body to put on display and, and tie you know, it into a legend of right, some sort. You know, I just, it just doesn't sound like, and, and, but it was interesting enough to bring up because it was called mermaid syndrome. Right. Um, but here's another one in the 16th century sailors began to sell these souvenirs that were called Jenny Hanover's. Now, Jenny Hanover's were thought to be proof that mermaid-like creatures existed. But just like with a lot of this stuff, the, the theory was later debunked. They, they were supposed to be like skeletal remains of a mermaid. But what they really were was that cartilaginous skeleton <laughs> of a ray or a skate. Right. Right. You know, so everybody kind of knows what a stingray looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, something along that lines. A skate looks very, very similar. Um, and so these sailors would would get catch these things, and they would skin them, dry them out, carve, and then varnish and polish the carcasses to resemble mermaids. So much like P.T. Barnum's Fiji mermaid, the Jenny Hanover's were a hoax. They were nothing more than dead, disfigured rays, mm -hmm. but they were popular up until the 19th century. You know, people would, I mean, it would be like the equivalent. Now you go to Florida and there's every souvenir shop's got 400 alligator skulls. Right. Or you the know, bottle or with the shark in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, petrified alligator head. Here's some shark teeth mm -hmm. and all this other kind of stuff. I'd probably say, you know, 95% of it that you find in a souvenir shop is not real. Right. But there it is. You know, it's, Hey, you can carry this back. That's what these things were. Right. So you, you go, you go take a trip to the coast and there's some sailor over there selling these Jenny Hanover's saying, get your mermaid, your mermaid remains right here. I I would love to have one of those. Like, yeah, I think that would be, be cool. really cool to have in like a case or something at the house. There's, there's plenty of photograph. I mean, not like images. I mean, photographs of these things that were available when I, when I found this, um, so it, it would make sense that somewhere, some museum has, has got these on display, maybe, maybe not in the U S but you know, some other places, cause there's too many modern looking photographs of these things to go, Oh, that's what this is. I mean, it's saying this is a, you know, a Jerry Hanover. I wonder if I could find a replica of one of those. Cause even that would be cool. You know, oh, yeah. find, find just, a replica. Just to have it. Yeah. yeah especially in here. Right. Know? Right. Everywhere I look, there's a bone looking at me. Yeah, I mean, you got to have some hobby, right? You know, <laughs> you got to have a hobby. Yep. Um, <laughs> so let, you can't talk about mermaids or cryptids for that matter at all without discussing Lauren Coleman. Now, Lauren Coleman has done a lot of research into the mermaid. So according to his research, there are two different subclasses of merfolk. Now, there is the marine subclass, and the marine subclass has a fin-like appendage around the area where the legs would normally be. So the marine is what we think of 
the first image that comes to our mind when we think of mermaid. So they've got the fin-like appendage. Now, there's a mostly freshwater class, and this is characterized by an angular foot with a high instep and three-pointed toes. Now, the freshwater class often ventures onto land. And they're usually the far more aggressive and dangerous subclass. And they also are predominantly carnivorous. So if you're going to be attacked by a mermaid, most likely it's going to be the freshwater subclass that can actually come onto land. Um, Now, both subclasses vary in height, all the way from a dwarf size to a full-grown man size, maybe a little bit bigger. Their bodies are strong and muscular, but they're not bulky looking. They're more sleek and streamlined. Now, the marine variety has predominantly smooth skin and sometimes has short kind of smooth fur on the body. But the freshwater variety has little patchy hair growths that can kind of resemble leaves or scales. So marine, think of full you know, thin, silky body hair. And then the freshwater has patches of it, kind of like you would see camouflage or something like that. Yeah. Which one wears the little scallop shell bikini top? The uh, Disney subclass. (laughs) 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 Now, both of the subclasses, the hair is most often maned or around the head and shoulder area. If you're not talking about the fine hair, um, it's, it's the most hair would be like what we have, but you know, could come down onto the neck a little bit more. Um, but in some individuals from both classes, they can have almost complete hair coverage. So almost kind of give a mammal like appearance to them. Now, in general, all mer beings have oval almond shaped eyes and both of the subclasses are mostly nocturnal. So that kind of ties together. You know, the big almond-shaped eyes you see on a lot of nocturnal beings or gray aliens. <laughs> um, Just had to slide that one in there. Had to slide that in. So all reports from Eurasia to Africa state that merfolk have a very sing-songy vocalization. Um, but a lot of the freshwater mer- merfolk will often display... An, And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said, let's look at some of the details of them and Matt's very poignant story. Uh, Many of the freshwater merfolk often display a row of spikes down along the back. Think about how we described the chupacabra Mm -hmm. with the spikes going down, but they're not as pronounced. They're shorter you know, smaller, not as thick. Now, Lauren makes... More more like a mackerel. Yeah. Well, Lauren makes the connection to the Pato, which is a cat-sized monkey-like loris from South Central Africa. And I'll try to get some pictures of this on the website along with this episode. The spines of the last neck vertebrae and the first vertebrae of the spine penetrate the skin and they're capped with spines. Now, 
This is so that when the pato is threatened, they can stand the spikes up and it will keep a predator from being able to bite the pato on the neck. And you can't really see them too well, you know, in its normal state, but I've found some skeletal versions of that loris and you are able to very easily see which vertebrae it is. Now, a being that has been talked about for hundreds of years that people most often put into the mermaid category is a creature called the stellar sea ape or the sea ape of the Bering Sea. Now, in 1740, after a, a two-year journey from Moscow to Okhotsk, O-K-H-O-T-S-K, um, a naturalist named George Wilhelm Steller boarded a ship called St. Peter, and he joined a Captain Bering on the Great Northern Expedition. Now, this expedition you know, would define Europe's relationship to the Northern Pacific, so it was a very important expedition that he was on. Now, during this expedition, Steller identified and described dozens of new species, including the now-extinct Steller sea cow, a threatened Stellar's eider, and the threatened Stellar sea eagle, and also the Stellar sea lion. Obviously, he liked naming things after himself. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, if you find it's them. Stellar. Yeah. And I, I used to, as a kid, when I'd hear about the Stellar sea cow, I was like, man, that must be an awesome sea that's cow. That's the best sea cow ever. And then I realized that's not at all what it means. <laughs> now, Stellar also identified a curious cryptid-like creature called the Stellar Sea Ape. And he describes it in a book called The Beasts of the Sea. And he says, quote, The animal was about six feet long. The head was like a dog's head. The ears pointed and erect. And on the upper and lower lips on both sides, whiskers hung down. The body was longish, round, and fat. The skin was covered thickly with hair, gray on the back, reddish-white on the belly. But in the water, it seemed to be all red and cow-colored. Okay. So, so what? Like, what is cow-colored? Black and white spots? Well, see, that's what I thought, too. But if it's, it's like the, red, it's maybe the it's the stellar that... Holstein sea Exactly. Cow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so Stellar's notes indicate that he spent several hours in close proximity to the sea ape. He watched it feed and play around the boat, and he even attempted twice to shoot it, because that's what you do. That's what you do. You know, uh, cryptozoologists will point to the extended account to argue that it's unlikely that Stellar would have that poorly mis misidentified another species that probably he himself found and described Right, being out in that area. Well, having described all those other things, yeah. you know, this obviously didn't look like those. Right. You know, he would have been like, oh, it's another one of these that I named. Right. And and being, you know, a naturalist, he would know other species in the area, even if he didn't find them. Right. He should know, oh, well, no, that's not, you know, an un un unidentified creature. It's blank, mm, right. you know. Um, in an essay by Peter Bridges, now former U.S. ambassador to Somalia, he writes about the animal discoveries made by naturalist Steller. 
He says one smallish fur-bearing creature that Stella reported sighting at sea has never been seen since then. It was a playful animal with a head like a dog, fat, hairy body, and it cavorted around the ship for two hours. Stellar called it the sea ape. He thought it must be an ocean-going primate. That's how you always know a sea ape is they cavort. Everywhere. Yeah, a cavorting in Davenport. <laughs> if you're not a cash fan, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so uh, today's cryptozoologists keep Stellar sea ape in their list of mysterious mammals. And it's right up there with the Yeti and the American Bigfoot. That's really interesting to me because it it doesn't match any of the other descriptions of mermaids we've talked about, but it gets put in the merfolk category because it's an unidentified sea creature that has features of other animals that we may know. Yeah. And, you know... Coming on the on the tail of this, you know, many of the... Uh, tail, is that a pun? It wasn't, but it is now. <laughs> but um, many of the, the most well-known explorers documented the sight of mermaids. Right. Now, to me, this, this tells me a few things. Number one, you know, there were already legends of mermaids when these guys went out on voyages. So... That gives you a clue, you know, if Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, mm-hmm. he already knew what a mermaid was. Sure. You know, it, it wasn't something like he didn't find one and go, this is a mermaid. Now, what know, in the he, heck is that? He already knew to be on the lookout. So, it, you know, much longer than that, people had been telling these stories. So, but Columbus, he claimed that he saw three mermaids off the coast of Haiti on his first voyage to the Americas in 1493. Now, he wrote that they rose well out of the sea, but they are not so beautiful as they are said to be, for their faces had some masculine traits, like a mustache. <laughs> now, he did, I added the mustache part. <laughs> I was going to say, did he? Yeah, but I mean, if you've ever looked at a manatee, they mm-hmm. kind of have a walrus-looking face, yep. you know, you know, mustachy-looking. Right. But it, it was it was pretty obvious that he was looking at manatees. Yeah. I mean, we we can all you know they're native to that area, you know, most likely that's what he was seeing, and he had never seen that before, but he had heard about mermaids, so he he made an assumption that this was uh this was a mermaid. Now it's also possible that. It could have been the manatee's cousin, the dugong, and which is real similar. The tails are a little bit different, um, but you know it might have been more easily confused um, as a mermaid. Now it's interesting. Um, the the dugong, the literally means lady of the sea in the Malay language. Right. So you know. Like I said, they're real similar in, uh, in appearance, and and even somebody used a dugong skeleton, um, to claim it was a mermaid skeleton. So I mean, that, I that's how that. similar in, in appearance they are. And one interesting thing about those animals is that they have the ability to turn their head, which you know most most sea dwelling animals don't have that ability. Right? They, they don't have an articulated neck to be able to 
swim one way and look the other way, mm-hmm. that that seems more of a human trait. So, uh, you know, even sea dwelling mammals, you know, th- don't all do that. Right. You know, it's especially something that, you know, it, it doesn't live, you know, on land and in the sea. You know, it's not not a seal or a walrus that yeah. comes out on land. You know, a manatee is you know an aquatic creature, but can turn his head from left to right and up and down. And you know, if you see that in shadow. Yeah, man, that's a person. That's a humanoid fish. Sure. You know, why not? It was, you know, it's Columbus. I mean, give him a break. It's, you know, 1493. Um, I'm not giving that man a break. (laughs) Give him a break on this. Okay, fine. All the other stuff, you know. All right, we'll leave that alone. (laughs) We'll leave that alone. But um, uh, another explorer that, that also documented seeing a mermaid was John Smith. Yes, the same John Smith, the man that's famous for settling the Jamestown colony. If that was his real name. If that was his real name. <laughs> and and he mentioned a mermaid sighting in 1614 off the coast of Newfoundland. Now, he's quoted as saying, her long green hair imparted to her an original character that was by no means unattractive. So, you know, Smith said, well, hey, these things are actually pretty good looking. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see why that, that Chinese guy went and married one. Right. Um, but then uh, Henry Hudson, another uh, another famous explorer, who was the first European to sail up what became known as the Hudson River and explore the bay uh, that, that now bears his name, you know, the Hudson Bay. In 1608, he noted in his logbook that a few of his crew had spotted a mermaid swimming close to the ship and she had looked up at them. Now, the sailors claim that from about the navel up, her back and breasts were like a woman's. But when she dove under the water, they saw her tail, which was like the tail of a porpoise. So that that's very similar to the modern pop culture. Yeah, exactly. And, and probably closer to the, the European legends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and artwork because you know if you go back and you look at the artwork they, they still even if they were more um malevolent in nature they still have a very feminine beautiful appearance sure you know i mean it's essentially just a you know a drawing or a painting of a beautiful woman with fins instead of legs right so um Part of me says that, okay, yeah, there's a lot of misidentification here, but if they've already come, you know, to the new world with this idea of what mermaids would look like, you know, they've, they've kind of, they're kind of making things fit, you know, into that. They, you know, they're, they have bias, right? you know, by, by already having an image in their head and this is similar shaped and uh, that must be what it is. And maybe even you see things that you don't really see. You know, if, if you want to see a mermaid, you see a mermaid. Yeah. It's, it's a manatee. It's like you know? we've talked before in, in the sea monsters episodes and stuff, you know, misidentification can lead you to seeing things that aren't there. Um, or, you know, you see a ripple in the the waves or something like that, and and you think it's a mermaid. Um, but real quick, as we kind of get 
toward the end of the episode. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple of the variations that we talked about earlier and didn't elaborate on. Um, the Mami Wata we, we touched on, that's the African water spirit. Um, she's remained respected and celebrated from the time before the African nations came in contact with Europe. Now, all the way through the ages, even up to today, where she's venerated in West, Central, and Southern Africa. Now, she's regarded as an immortal spirit that personifies polar opposites, such as beauty and danger, natural force and healing, wealth and destruction, health and disease. And so we see that in some of the other legends as well, where, you know, it it was the yin and the yang of the creature. And being a goddess, we see that in a lot of goddess representations throughout the centuries. Um, One of the other ones is the sirens. And in the earliest Greek myth, sirens represented the beautiful women who rested on the shore of the ocean. They would sing a song of love and sometimes play stringed instruments. Now, men who heard their songs became instantly enchanted. They were mesmerized, and they would walk to them where they received only a gruesome death, at times by drowning or sometimes by being eaten. Now, they lured these nearby sailors with their sing-songy voices that we've discussed before to shipwreck on rocky coast as well on their island that they supposedly inhabited. Now, Roman poets placed them on some small islands that they called Serenum, uh, Serenum Scopula. So they had their own island where they said they were, they lived and you didn't get close to this island because if you did, the sirens would get you. <laughs> the sirens will get you. Yeah. Don't let the sirens get you. So on that note, I want to talk a little bit about what mermaids, if you believe this, um, really would be. Because even with all the stuff that, that Adam and I have discussed tonight, there's even another idea. So There's always another there's idea. There's always another idea. But maybe these these creatures aren't, what we could classify as a cryptid. Maybe they're, they're spiritual in nature. Um, coming off of last, the last show we did, the elementals, mm-hmm. we mentioned mermaids briefly when we talk about water elementals. Now, spiritualists believe that mermaids are just the human form of an elemental water spirit. Okay. And my my joke about the sea maids earlier uh, makes a little more sense now because these mermaids, these water elementals, they're tasks they're tasked with caring, cleaning, and being the guardian of the oceans. Right. You know, so they're the ones that are cleaning the water. You know, um, taking care of the fish and generally protecting, you know, the world's oceans. Mm-hmm. So these spiritualists will 
will say that, you know, like I said, mermaids are the guardians of the seas who look after whales, dolphins, sharks, fish, and other marine creatures. And their energy is very soothing. And they are particularly willing to help humans heal emotional problems and trauma. Now, it's also interesting that they bring that up because remember we discussed um, holy wells or healing mm-hmm. waters? Yep. And when you had a holy well, you you had a female elemental that was the guardian of that water. Mm-hmm. And that was who you presented to when you came to either cleanse yourself or to heal yourself uh, emotionally, spiritually, and physically in some cases. And so this is what they're saying mermaids truly are. You know, this elemental spirit that, that guards the water and is willing to help and even heal humans. Now, they are the female members of the tribe. And of course, mermen are, are the male members. And mermaids are very friendly elementals, and you will find them easily, most easily, on rocks out in the sea, but they say they live all over. You know, they say that mermaids are trying to get our attention in order to heal the sea and work in harmony with the ocean sprites, whose job is it to energetically purify the water. They are also willing to heal humans, also particularly of emotional problems and traumas. And again, it says mermaid energy is very soothing. So I, I can see that, you know, we, we mentioned in the last show about my affinity for the coast mm-hmm. and, and being near the ocean and, and how there's, you know, a, a relief there, you know, you know, it relieves stress. It makes you feel good. You know, you feel at peace. Some of that I've always felt is when you're when you're staring at something in nature that is so large, so vast that it just overwhelms you. Right. You know, you look out into the ocean and all you see is ocean. You know, and you realize how small you really are. You know, there's there's some peace in that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so I think that's why I feel it. You know, I, I don't go and commune with the mermaids. Right. I would if I saw one. I'd be sure. like, hey, come on, let's, you know. Let's have a chat. Let's play cards or something. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but the elemental mermaid spirit has some very particular traits. And these are some of them. Now, hold on to your hats for some of this because it <laughs> Yeah. It, it really gets out this there. this one you're gonna you're gonna have to tether yeah, yourself you, you really it, <laughs> it, it goes far i found i found this and i and i couldn't pass it up so the the first trait of the elemental mermaid is that they have they're deep emotional psychic powerful and pure and it says this is hard to describe unless you can touch it or merge it with yourself um, like I said, communing with the mermaids. The, uh, this writer says, I believe the mermen, um, they are very alluring to human women. They will find at least one human female a day and offer to sleep with them. It's like, so when I tune into merman energy, that it's quite a revelation. So I also find that elves and 
male and female are very alluring and but they they lack the power of the mer people so you know they they like to uh you know be very seductive you can tell the direction this, <laughs> this is going <laughs> Hold on, it's PG show, so we're not we're not gonna get into anything too bad. Um just kooky. They are one with the water. Cause basically mer people are love because water is love. Did you know that? I didn't water was love. I, I didn't, didn't know, know that. that. So it says water itself is alive and has a soul. And water is part of God, the same as everything else. So mer people get both love and sustenance from water said they can experience water through linking with them and you can heal your soul through the water by communing with the mermaids sweet much to try that all you got all you got to do is commune and it will <laughs> heal your soul it says mermaids love and have a zest for life they love to experience our world, the human world, but are never a part of it. Whilst other realms seem to get very caught up in human stuff, in quotations, people never do. Now, I've seen The Little Mermaid. That's not true. Right. She had all the thingamabobs and all that stuff. Well, that's all you know, she, she did she was it. get entranced into the human <laughs> realm. She left the ocean. That's right. So, so more than other realms... Mermaids maintain a lot of spiritual knowingness, detachment, and wisdom, and tend to need to pretend they are human so they fit in because they're not. Right. Now, mermaids often see relationships differently. Unlike humans who try to possess or own their love interest, mer people do not. The advantage of being detached is that they can enjoy a relationship and love the person. But the other person leaves them for any reason. They move on immediately. So they don't, they don't get all tore up. They don't, you know, eat ice cream or get drunk or any of that other stuff. Flippant flippin merfolk. <laughs> Says they do not participate in normal human bonding. They will not bond emotionally with their mate ever. Their happiness and contentment comes from inside them. This is something humans have yet to master. Now, they also have no sense of time. They often they are unaware of time passing and unaware of what day of the week it is. This is a sign that they live in the eternal now moment. You know, it's a symptom of a higher dimensional being. You know, there is no past, there is no future, there is only now. Well, that or you can't get a clock to work underwater. Right. I'm going to just start throwing calendars into the ocean. Yeah, right. Here, merfolk. Here, learn something. <laughs> It says they are it says they in fact sense time correctly in that it's not truly linear. The past, the present, and the future are simultaneous. Um some some advanced beings on earth have mastered this, but most have not. What what other advanced beings have mastered this? I guess, you know, the people that can travel through time. Uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> Adam. I, I never know what day the Adam week is. Adam is four hundred and seventy four years old because just... he has mastered Space and time. I age well, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know. But to sum this up, you know, mermaids are also very giving and loving. You know, they are soft and they love to give. 
uh, in a way that um, is compared to incarnate incarnated angels. So like angels, they do learn to limit their giving so as not to be stalked or taken advantage of. Um, they're emotional empaths. Um, water is, is emotion, according to this. Um, they can sense our emotions very easily, and they are like master empaths. Many mermaids use this empathy to heal others quite selflessly, just because they can. And they perform energy healing, usually at a distance, um, because they are so giving of themselves. And, you know, I even found instructions on how to do this, how to try to commune with mermaids and and, and absorb their energy. Um, you know, they said you could do it from your living room. And I'm like, wait a minute, what if your living room is in Kansas? Right. You know, I'm like, right. you know, I'm not anywhere. Ocean, you know, how am I going to do this? Um, but, you know, it says you can. And I, I know... Um, I know we're making light of it, and but you know some of this stuff, like I said, just really gets out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the idea of elementals is an interesting one, and if if you haven't listened to the show immediately before this one, then you you should because the last three shows we've all mentioned elemental spirits and and how they work with humans and and describing mermaids as this makes them more elemental in nature because you know they're they're there for humans they 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 have this relationship with humans but it's it's different it's it's not a a relationship that you know a human would easily understand like you know you're there we're here to help but in the grand scheme of things you know you're inconsequential to us you know and and i think the you know the the point of mermaids being elemental, I, I don't have a problem with, and I think it, it it's very plausible that they could be, you know, some incarnation of an elemental spirit. Cause we've discussed that last episode with other cryptid sightings or whatever. Could it be an elemental rather than a flesh and blood creature? Um, the wording of that account is a little woo woo, mm-hmm. you know, it gets a little on the, you know, far out there side, but, I, but I think looking at it, could mermaids be a water elemental spirit? Sure. I mean, because that would explain why they're not always seen why we haven't fished one out of the ocean accidentally, you know, but take the wording of that with a grain of salt, you know? Right. But, you know, I think if you consider that as a possibility, you know, even a remote possibility, you, we talked about this before that some of these creatures that we get labeled as cryptids may very well be elementals. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't find, you know, evidence of, of dead bodies or, or anything else, because they, they really are not of, of this world. You know, they, they're more ethereal and, you know, much like we said, Bigfoot, what if Bigfoot was an earth elemental? What if Nessie was a a water elemental and, and they were the guardians of wherever they were? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 
this would fit right in line with with that kind of thinking. Sure. You know, that mermaids were the elemental guardians of the sea and and that's what they were doing. And maybe some people did actually come across uh you know the the vision of one. Right. You know, they they've seen something that they can't explain. The physical incarnation. Maybe it was a physical incarnation of the water elemental. We we don't know. Right. Um but it's fun to talk about. Sure. You know, it's fun to theorize what what these sailors saw for all these centuries that they thought was was a half person, half fish. Right. So, you know, that, and that's why we, Adam and I wanted to to get, we've we had this topic on the list for a long time, and we've just, I don't think we ever had any reason to, to just jump on it until we really started looking at, you know, the elementals and mm-hmm. it just kind of, just kind of flowed into this. So it, it made for well. a fun topic. Yeah. And, you know, we say this a lot, you know, there was a lot of information about a topic and we just cut it down. Just there's saying there's a lot about mermaids is not even, we're not even scratching the yeah. surface. Yeah. Really? I mean, there's so much, there's so many ideas, there's so many theories and, and we really, we really touched on, you know, just a few, you can um, do a whole just, series yeah, on just, just mermaids. Just to give you an idea of of just how vast the history is behind the, the, the legends and folklore related to mermaids and mermen. And, you know, it, it's it's pretty amazing. And, and it still goes today. Right. You know. So let us know what you think. Do you think mermaids are a legitimate flesh and blood creature? Do you think they're misidentification? Do you think they once lived and they don't now? Or do you think they are a physical incarnation of an elemental spirit? Hit yeah. us up, send us an email, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and let us know your thoughts. Yeah. And always, as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on the website, you can uh, learn more about Adam and myself. You can listen to the show to find links to purchase Graveyard Tells merchandise. And you can become a patron. And we've added the uh, the donate button. So if, if you don't want to commit to a monthly uh, Patreon membership, then you're, you're more than welcome to just throw a couple of bucks our way to just say, hey, we enjoy the show. Keep it up. Because right. Adam and I are not getting rich on this. No. <laughs> it, it helps us keep the lights on. That's right. And it, it helps us improve the show, which, you know, we've, We've done a lot to improve the quality, you know, the, the audio quality, you know, we're, uh, all the time just coming up with new ideas and new things to do to make the show better for you guys. Mm -hmm. But check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go and search graveyard tales, please rate and review us on iTunes. And as always until next week, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. (laughs) 